My name is Chris Boyer, and my wife and I, we lead the college ministry here at the Lighthouse Church of Christ. And we'd like to welcome you guys. I'm so glad that you came here this morning. I know that you could be doing a lot of other things and you could be out, you know, fishing or exercising, but you guys are all here. Whether you're a member here today or you're a guest here for the first time, I am so glad that you made it out here today. And I think that you'll be glad that you did because we're in the third part of a four-part series called Breathing Room. And uh, I know for me, I was able to communicate or preach this lesson two weeks ago, part one of Breathing Room. And since then, my wife and I, we've already begun to implement changes. It's been incredible. Breathing Room, to, to catch us up to speed here, is defined as the space between our current pace and our limits. So I'm the type of person that I wanna run hard. I wanna go to my limits. I wanna go as hard as I can. I wanna use all extra space available. I wanna be efficient with my time. And maybe if you're anything like me, you've tried to plug as much into your life as possible in three different areas, in our finances, in our relationships, and in our schedules. But life is better with breathing room. That's the conclusion that we're trying to point everyone to, is life is going to be better with breathing room. And so your closet may look like this, a total disaster. You fit everything in all the way to the ceiling. You've packed in as many hangers as you could possibly pack in. You have old stuff in there. You just kind of pack stuff in there and maybe your closet looks like that. And when we talk about our closets, it's kind of funny to talk about it. But when our finances look that way, when our schedules look like that, when our, our relationships look like that, it's not funny. And that's when marriages fail. Instead, we want to have breathing room. We want our, our closets to be clean and in order. We want them to just feel like we have space to run around. And so last week, Anthony taught us that our time is limited, so you, you have to limit what you do with your time. And that was the, the bottom line from last week, that you have a certain amount of hours per week. And you can't be two places at once. You have to decide what you're going to do with your time. Now, this week, what we're going to talk about is a topic that if you're here as a guest for the first time at church, I'm sure you're not excited to hear a preacher talk about money. But we're going to be talking about money today. But I have great news for you. Because I'm not going to ask you to give anything. This is not a, I'm going to talk about money so that you're led to give today. And we're going to have another offering today. We're going to take up another contribution. That's not why. The reason we're doing it is because God wants something for you, not something from you. And I also want to use that opportunity to tell you just to start off that we, you're sitting next to some of the most generous, high contributing individuals in our community. That's what I believe. I believe the people of this church, the members, the people, someone to your right, someone to your left, may be a consistent, high contributing member. Because you know why? We just took up this special contribution where we do it once a year. And after we took this up and we did our raffle, we had this goal set and we just like killed our goal. We blew out our goal. We, we met our anticipated goal, which is amazing. Even if we hadn't met the goal, at least we were shooting to try to do something and our dollars are going to make a difference for the mission of Jesus. So I wanna celebrate and thank all of you for the contributing, for the generous members that are sitting next to us in this auditorium. Thank you guys for doing what you guys do. So last week we saw that our time is limited. So you have to limit what you do with your time. But here's the thing that's different with money. Our time is limited, but our money is not. You might think, well, yes, it is limited because I only make a certain amount of money. I'm not making anymore. I'm, that's how much money I make. But you know what? You could borrow. You could borrow money. You could get into debt. So the, you can't borrow time. 
You can't borrow time. So last week we talked about time, and that kind of automatically can limit itself, you know, and your schedule might fall apart and you're late to something. But when you get in debt, you're in debt because you can borrow. You can borrow money. And so there's a relationship between your ability to follow Jesus and your financial house. There, there is a relationship between your ability to follow Jesus and your financial house. And so what I mean here by that is if you're a guest here today and you haven't bought into Jesus, you're visiting church for the first time, you haven't been back to church in a long time, it's great to have you. We're glad you're here. Today, this is gonna be something where if you leave here and you're not more convinced that the Bible's from God than you were before, you will still walk away with an incredibly helpful principle that is going to change your future life. It is going to change your life. But for those of us in here that believe that Jesus raised from the dead and that he lives currently in our lives, he lives in our hearts, that he is present with us, that if we believe that and we're following Jesus, we cannot follow the teachings of Jesus without our financial house being in order. And so what marketing wants to teach us, what we learn from marketing is that our standard of living, if we increase our standard of living, that we're gonna be happier, we're gonna live a better quality of life. And I'm all for marketing. Some people in here may work in the marketing industry. You may be you know, doing something with graphic design or publication or video. You know, I really appreciate that. We need your help here at this church. We need all of you guys that are in that industry to help us out. So I love marketing, it's great. But in marketing, what they wanna do, they wanna convince you that if you were to raise your standard of living, that you're gonna live a better quality of life. And you see that when you see the truck commercials. Okay, you see the truck commercial and the dad, he drives home, he's you know, on the work site and, and the kid, the boy's at home playing with the, the daddy's truck. And then you know, the, the family runs up to the dad when he, when he comes home from the work site and his nice truck, right? And you think like, if I just had that truck, I would be so happy. That would be like my family, you know, we'd be so better off if I had that nice truck. You know, and, and around Christmas time, you know, you get the Lexus with the red bow on the top, right? Okay, and there's that red bow and, and the husband like opens the door Christmas morning and the wife sees the red bow and it's like they live in this beautiful house that looks like it's from the East Coast and there's like snow on it, you know? And it's like they see that red bow and they're like, oh my gosh, if I was able to get my wife a Lexus, we would be so happy. We would be so happy together. But I'm here to tell you that's absolutely not the case. That is not the situation. And some of you have already discovered that, that if you raise your standard of living, it does not mean you've increased your quality of life. Standard of living does not equal quality of life. And you've already experienced that, you've received that. Some of us that are in here, some of us understand this principle already because we have a car that we're driving around that we're upside down in. We drove it off the lot and it, and it lowered in value so much, the amount of money that you owe on that car is far less than what you could sell that car for and you're driving a car that's upside down and you're paying payments on it every single month, you've discovered the pain that you've had to experience maybe in the, in the loss of a house. You know, for me personally, with the, the housing market crash and I lost my job, my wife and I, we, we lost our condo. We were upside down, we were so far upside down. It was like our house, we owed so much money on it and it was like in 30 years, our little apartment might come back up to what it's worth. It was so hard to justify us shelling out extra money on top of renters. It was so, so hard. So maybe you've experienced that, that, you know, this standard of living, like if I have that house that I want, it's not gonna make you happier. 
It's not going to increase your quality of life. Now, we can increase our standard of living with debt. You can increase your standard of living. Today, you got any one of, most of us in here who have a decent credit score can go out and get something. You could get a bigger TV. You can go get a car. You can go get a house. You can increase your standard of living by going where you want to eat, buying what you want to buy, and increase your standard of living. We can do that by, in, by taking on debt. So with debt, we can increase our standard of living. But to increase our quality of life, we need to implement discipline. It takes discipline to increase our quality of life. And which one of these do you think is more difficult? Discipline or taking on debt? Discipline, right? Discipline is so much more difficult. And you know what? It's really quiet in the auditorium right now. Maybe already we're like feeling some things as we read this and hear this. Which one of these, if, if you believe that there is a good God who created you for a purpose and you have this short life and there's an everlasting God who loves you, which one of these do you think God is more interested in? Is he more interested in your standard of living or your quality of life? He's more interested in our quality of life. So financial margin is huge. Having a financial margin, having breathing room in our finances is huge. Which would you rather have? Let me illustrate this in another way. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have an awesome marriage Or would you rather have a bad marriage with really cool cars? Okay, we know the answer to that one. So creating breathing room financially may lower your standard of living, uh uh-oh, but raise your quality of life. Okay, so I know this is a very un-American concept. We're very, like, not patriotic here, okay? That we're encouraging people to lower their standard of living. Creating breathing room financially may lower your standard of living. You're not gonna live the way that you would have lived otherwise, but it's gonna raise your quality of life. And I believe we have some great examples of people doing that in this room already. There's people in here who are doing this. They're practicing this. They get this. But many of us, we don't get this. And for me standing here communicating to you, I'm not gonna tell you, I am not the expert. I am not an expert on this. I've made really expensive mistakes Okay, and so I'm capable of communicating to you, not because I am the expert, because I'm right there next to you. So there's a couple things that I know about you. You're living on a percentage of your income. You have an income and you're living on a percentage of that. I know that's not something you really need to write down. Okay, no one in here is gonna be writing that down because we all are living on a percentage of your income. But what drives that percentage? What is it that has determined that percentage? And one of the first things I'm going to be, one of the homework assignments I'm going to be asking you is for you to pick a percentage. You determine the percentage that you're going to give on. Don't let any people who are trying to sell you something, don't let your income drive it, but you are living on a percentage of your income. Next, if you had just a little bit more, you would be fine. That's something that you believe. If you had just a little bit more money, if you had a little bit more income, you'd have some breathing room and everything would be okay. You believe that. I believe that. We believe that. We all believe that. We all believe that from time to time. And we see people who make more money than us, and we think, you know, I only make $50,000 a year or $75,000 a year, but if I made $100,000 a year, that extra $25,000 a year, I would have so much money. I would have, I would have the kids' retirement. I, I mean, I would have my kids' college. I'd have my retirement. I'd be doing everything I wanted to do. I'd be taking all the vacations I wanted to take. You think that if you made a little bit more money, that you 
would be just fine. But the interesting thing is some of us in here today are making more money than we've ever made before. But you're not living a quality of life of what you lived when you made far less money. When you made far less money. Because you know what? There's people who make $200,000 a year. And those individuals, they make $200,000 a year, but you know what? They've spent it all. They've spent it all and they're living without any breathing room. And they're living right next to how much money they're making. And so they feel more pressure than you or I. Because if they lose their $200,000 a year job, how do they get another job? I mean, those aren't very common. It's really hard to find one of those jobs. But if we lose our, our smaller figure jobs, you know what? We could find one of those out there. So people, just because they have more money, they've actually spent themselves out of that position as well. And they can feel more pressure than you feel. You felt the same way when you made a lot less. You felt like if I made just a little bit more money, I would, I would be okay. When I was 22 years old and I was living from paycheck to paycheck, doing seasonal work and contractor work, you know what? I, I was spending a lot of time at the beach and I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, you know, I was just cruising around in a little 86 VW. I had a 1986 Volkswagen Jetta that was tricked out. It was sweet. I loved it. You know, and that was an old car. Even at that time, it was a super old car. And I was driving that thing around. I had such a great time. I never would have imagined that I would feel financial pressure making the amount of money that I make now. But what happens is we live our lives without margin, which creates pressure. So I'm going to make it really clear here by giving you a graph. This is money and this is time. Okay, so... Money, time, I don't know what these increments are of time, okay, or, but this is time and this is money. So here is your income. Over time, you're going to make more income. Most of us in here will make more income when we're 40 years old than we made when we were 25 years old. Most of us in here. Now, it may only be hundreds of dollars or $1,000, but over time, your income is going to increase. Now, what some of us have done and what we want to encourage or, or talk about here today is that your spending will not track your income. It's not gonna track exactly along your income, but instead you're gonna determine an amount, you're gonna set a percentage and you're gonna determine to have some breathing room. You're gonna have breathing room underneath your income. You're gonna have enough space that you're gonna be okay. But some of us, what we end up doing, or most of us, what, what we do is our spending tracks our income. It exactly tracks our income. That we have this tiny little space, if any space at all, if you're in this kind of situation. Some of us are in worst case scenarios. But when I make $100, there's like a mob of people in my head and I'm, I'm like trying to tell them what we're gonna do. And they're like, spend it, spend it, spend it. You know, I have people in my head like, hey guys, we're making $100. What do you guys want to spend it? And they're like, want me to go out and do something that's like really hard to fight against these people, okay? And, and we end up just, you make $100, you spent 99 of it. You spent $99.99, you had exactly enough to get it. But some of us, what happens is we have a hiccup. Whoops, whoops, my bad, my bad. <laughs> the, the mob in my head just went, uh-oh, they all took off, okay? And now it's just me standing there, and I realized I just outspent my income. Whoops, I, I actually went underneath on that one. And so that's when a hiccup happens in the economy or 
maybe you lost your job or you got a reduction, but some of our incomes go up and down and it ends up where our spending is superseding our income. So we'll go back to this one right here. You spent or borrowed your way into slavery. Living like this is you are making these companies your master. They are owning you. And they're not designed to do that. If you work for a bank in here today, if you work for you know, some kind of company that lends, you know what? Thank you for what you do. I love pulling up to the gas station and popping my credit card in, taking it out, and I drive away. I'm like so efficient at going to the gas station. I love it. I love being able to go to Costco and just buy my gas right there. They were, they, they're not in business in order to make your life more difficult and to make you a slave. Instead, they're there to facilitate your life and facilitate your desires. And it is your desires that have brought you into slavery, that have brought you into a point where when you see in the mail something coming from your credit card company and you know you're super behind on your payments or your mortgage company or, or your lease of that car or, or the TV screen that you bought and you see mail from them, you know what you start feeling? You don't like them. You don't like those people. You don't like the, you caught them customer service. You don't like the customer service representatives. You don't like them. You hate them. You start to hate those people. And they don't even know you. They don't care about you. <laughs> and their intention was never to make you a slave to the system. Their intention was to facilitate your desires. And what's amazing is that Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 16. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, he gives us an indication of how to live our lives. And so if, again, if you are a Christ follower in here, you cannot follow Jesus the way you need to follow Jesus if you don't get this. If you haven't bought into Jesus, if you're here as a guest for the first time, we're glad you're here. I hope you leave here today with something that's really helpful. But if you follow Jesus in order to follow Jesus, you have to get this right. You have to. So he starts off with a story. I love how Jesus does this. Jesus told his disciples a story. There was a rich man whose manager was accusing him of wasting his possessions. Okay, now I'm not gonna tell you that I'm an expert on this passage or parable or that, you know, even Jesus' own disciples oftentimes didn't understand Jesus' parables as he told them. But Jesus tells this simple parable here. And there's a rich man whose manager accused him of wasting his possessions. Now, if that's God and God's a rich man, then we are the manager and we're managing his possessions. If you're a Christian in here today, you believe that you will give an account someday. You are going to give an account of what you have done with your possessions, with your time and with your finances, that we are accountable to God. And he is the rich owner who will call us, each one of us, into account. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So this guy's like, he's gonna get fired. And he's like, hey, the, man, the rich man's like, manager, you're gonna get fired? Give me the books. I wanna see what you've done with all the management that you've been working on. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtor. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. 
The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. So he cuts it in half. The manager's gonna get fired. He's afraid of what's gonna happen. He's like, dude, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I don't know what I'm gonna do with all my, you know, I have responsibilities that I leave up to. This is, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna call my, all the people who owe my master something, 900 gallons of oil. I'm gonna say, listen, make it 450. Can you pay it today? He's like a debt collector. collector. And he says, so he has him do that. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So it's a very fascinating parable to me as Jesus says this, as he teaches this, he tells a story so that we can understand our relationship to God and how it affects our, our financial house is affected by our relationship with God. Our relationship with God will be affected by our financial house. The master commends the dishonest manager. I'm like, okay, the dishonest manager, he, was, he, he did something good. He's like, look, I helped out my, my old boss, the boss that's firing me. I helped him out because I collected half the debt that was owed to him from two people. That's pretty good. He pulled in 50% of what those people owed him. It's better than nothing. And he earned himself a place of favor with those people that were in debt to the master. So not that I totally understand Jesus' take on this, but he says this bottom line in chapter 16 and verse 13. He gives the bottom line to better understand this relationship. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. No one can serve two masters. Maybe some of you in here have experienced divorce. Maybe you've personally experienced it or your parents got divorced. You know how there's those situations where one of the children has two parents and they're two power entities in their life and they're, they're basically in contrast with one another. It's like they're at odds with one another. And this child is gonna say, I love spending time with my dad because he just like hangs out with me. He takes me to do whatever I want. I don't get disciplined or whatever. You know, one way or the other, they're gonna say, I love the one and I don't like spending time with the other. Or maybe you feel the same way you've had multiple bosses in an organization that's complicated, okay? Where you have kind of like an on the field boss and you have a boss who's over him or over to the side on the organizational chart, but you're kind of serving both of them and they're in competition with one another you are gonna favor or you're gonna to lean towards one of those two masters. You're gonna to, to attach yourself to one and you're gonna avoid the other one. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot fully serve two power sources. You can't fully serve two different power sources. And if you're ever in a situation, Jesus says, if you're ever in a situation where you are faced with an opportunity that you have to choose between two power entities, you are gonna favor one and you're gonna despise the other one. You're gonna avoid the other one. Jesus says, if you're in the situation, if you're in a situation that you've become a slave to your credit card debt, if you're in a situation you become a slave to the decisions that you have made, Jesus is like, you're not gonna be able to live it out. And so the dishonest manager, there's this, this manager, rich guy, a manager, the manager's gonna get fired. He goes ahead and he, and he crosses out half the, the debt. Jesus ends up saying, hey, he was commended for what he did. And then listen to this bottom line, what he says here. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and 
don't you, the devil? No, he doesn't say the devil. He doesn't say something crazy. He says money. You can't serve both of these. This can be in competition with this. This gets in, and it starts competing with God. And how does he do that? How, how, does, how does that interact? How does that really happen? Well, God says, I want you to do this. You come here to church on Sunday. You're, you're, you're asked to maybe volunteer. You're asked to be in a Bible study. You're asked to do something. And you say, I can't. I can't do it. I can't because, you know what? My job is going to call me to go here. But Jesus is asking you to stay. Sometimes your job is asking you to go and Jesus is asking you to stay. Sometimes Jesus is asking you to go and your job is asking you to stay. And you're faced with a situation where you're like, I I like this idea of generosity. I like this idea of giving, but do you know what kind of mess my financial house looks like? You're like, you do not know the situation that I'm in. So if money is saying one thing, and Jesus is saying another thing, and your decisions are being motivated by money, which master are you serving? They come in in competition with one another, and you feel torn between the two. And you need to choose which one is going to be the master. And so that's the first step that I'm going to be showing you here in just a second, is you're going to have to choose. Who do you want to serve? Do you want to serve God, or do you want to serve money? And for those of us in here who are obeying the the teachings of Jesus, you cannot fully obey the teachings of Jesus without doing this. Because you know why? You can't fulfill the one another commandments. One another, one another, one another. The Bible calls us to live lives serving, giving, loving, praying. When you're filled with worry over your financial house and you're worried about every dollar that comes in and goes out of your house, when you're overtaken with your financial house because that's all you could talk about. It takes over your relationships. It takes over your conversations. It takes over your prayer life and you're incapable of praying. You're incapable of going out and serving, giving, loving, being generous. You're incapable of doing that when your financial house is not in order. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you, not only did Jesus tell us two weeks ago, he told us not to worry, not to worry, which is so hard to do, but you know what? If we practice financial margin, worrying, we wouldn't be worrying about one thing. We wouldn't be worrying about money. We would not be worrying about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink if we were to practice financial margin. So here, number one, I'm going to tell you to decide. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? You're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to practice financial margin or not? And so the greatest thing is what I'm telling you, nobody's gonna like dislike this idea. Nobody's gonna be like, oh, that's a terrible idea, practicing financial margin. It's a great idea. So whether or not you're following Jesus in here today or not, teens, guests, I wanna tell you guys, you just need to decide that you're gonna practice this principle. You're gonna practice it. I'm deciding, I'm gonna practice this principle here today. And you need to set a breathing room goal. So you need to decide, look, I'm living on a percentage of my income and I'm gonna decide what percentage. So this is, you're deciding that you're gonna live with breathing room financially, decide that you're gonna serve God, not money. And then you need to set a breathing room goal. So you need to decide what percentage of that money, what, like that goal has to be an actual, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down with my wife and say, here's how much money we make. Here is 80%. We are gonna live every month 
and we're going to spend less than 80% of the money that's coming into this house. So many people in here might be experts in budgets, experts in budgeting. Okay, people might have advised you to do that. You might have one set up. I don't personally do a great job at budgeting or living off a budget. I have one created. I have one that's accounted for everything, but I don't look at it very often. I don't hold to it very well. Maybe if you're like me, this will help you out because this is what my wife and I, we're gonna do this. We're gonna sit down and say, here's how much money we make. We're gonna live on 80% of it. Now, every single month we have to fall under 80% and there's a financial margin that's been created. We've created that financial margin, that breathing room. We're gonna set the breathing room in there So then you need to spy on your money. You actually have to account for what you've been spending. So now that that you've decided, okay, we're gonna live on 80% or whatever percent you choose in your family, you made the decision, you set the goal, now you need to actually account for it. And for two months, my wife and I, we are gonna say every dollar at the end of the month must be accounted for. We need to account for it. We need to make an Excel spreadsheet or a sweet app that I don't know the name of, okay? Whatever you wanna use, Excel, Quicken, you know, that we need to spy on our money and say, for two months, we're gonna watch, we're gonna account for all the money going out of the house on everything we spent it on. And it has to be inside of our goal. Because then if it's not, we need to cut our spending. So you have to make decisions on where you're gonna make cuts. You're gonna make cuts in certain places and it might be difficult to make that decision. But if you don't remember anything else, remember this. I want is better than I owe. I want is better than I owe. I want those shoes is better than I owe money on those shoes. I want that car is better than I owe money on that car. I wanna go eat out is better than I owe money because I went and ate out. I want that house is better than I owe money on that house. So if you guys don't remember anything else and and you've been texting or I've lost you because I talk too fast, is I want is better than I owe. Let's remember that, let's practice that. And the fifth step is develop a debt retirement plan. So debt retirement plan, again, I am not a financial planner and I'm not an expert. So I'm gonna refer you to a book called Financial Peace Revisited by David Ramsey. Financial Peace Revisited by David Ramsey. And you say, I can't afford that book. It's like, okay, go to Barnes and Nobles and sit down and read that book. Okay, and it's like, oh, okay, I don't have time because I, I'm, I'm very extended financially. I don't have time to go. Okay, listen, take your smartphone that you can't afford and go in Barnes and Nobles and take a picture of page 89 through 91. No, okay, so I, I don't actually recommend doing that. Please don't do that, okay? That's not legal, Okay. But listen, this is the new hope. This is the hope. And for those of us that are Christians in here today, this is the hope. You believe this scripture. You pray this scripture. We want this. Everybody wants this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake for his name's sake. Your financial house, your life, your breathing room, it's a reflection of my God and his name. And what you're doing, you are reflecting your lifestyle. You're reflecting Jesus for his name's sake. God is leading you today to make a decision, to live your life 
with breathing room. He wants you to change your life. He wants you to live your life next to quiet water. He is leading you towards green pastures. No matter how much money you make this year, no matter how much money you make next year, if you have a loss, if the economy dips, if we live our lives with breathing room, we will not experience the slavery that most of us have had to experience. So our hope today is creating breathing room financially may lower your standard of living, but raise your quality of life. God is more interested in your quality of life than you having the new, best, brightest, and shiniest thing. God is more interested in your quality of life than you having a bunch of new stuff in your wardrobe or that new device or that new car. God cares more about your quality of your life, your quality of your marriage, the peace that you experience on a daily basis. God, the everlasting God, wants a relationship with you. And he wants us to be at peace. He wants us to have breathing room in our lives. So I'm gonna go ahead and pray for you. Thank you guys for coming today and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us this incredible, just ageless principle of, of lifestyle living that we have forgotten, we have lost. And it's our fault, God. It's our fault. We have made the decision to put ourselves in slavery. I know not in all cases, but some cases people have had just their legs kicked out from under them financially. They've lost their jobs. They've experienced hardships more difficult than I could ever just understand. But Father, I just pray that you can be with each one of us in here today, that we might be able to move forward with where we're at. And Father, you have always been on your throne. So Father, I pray that today that you would take over our lives, take over our finances so that we can have breathing room in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.